You guys, let's turn in our Bibles, Revelation chapter 21. A very important message. Of course, we start in Mark, but uh, hey, we'll get back to it um, because these are unique times. The title of the message is Amidst the Chaos Today, Why It's Essential That Every Christian Gets It Right Regarding Israel. So Revelation chapter 21. Let me ask you, have you ever opened a letter and you started to read, but you're not totally sure what the letter is about. So then you jump to the end to like identify who wrote it. Has anybody ever done this out of curiosity? I think we've all done it, right? Because I can pick up an email and I start reading it and there's an introduction, but I'm not quite sure how to process it. Not sure about the context. And then it's like I, you know, I jump down, identify the name and it's like, you know, Bob from the IRS. No, just kidding. No, it's like, oh geez, oy vey, right? So the reality is, it's the idea that the end, the end of the story can give perspective to the story itself. And this is the case actually in the scriptures. The reason why I had you turn to Revelation chapter 21 is because the context here is this is identifying the new Jerusalem. This is identifying what eternity is going to look like. So you say, what are you talking about? Well, um, Jesus is coming again. Can I hear a big amen to that? Okay, he's going to reign on planet earth for a thousand years, the thousand year reign of Christ. Then there's the great white throne judgment. We're going to unpack all of this on Wednesday nights. Then after the great judgment, you're talking about entering into eternity. It's called the new Jerusalem. Let's get just a little snapshot of what it looks like. Check out verse 10. Revelation 21, verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. He showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with how many gates, you guys? 12 gates, 12 angels. Angels in Scripture always speak of messengers, divine authority, uh, the, the, the Word of God, revelation. But get this, the gates, the names written on them, are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Well, that's interesting. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north. So you're talking about like gates named Judah or Reuben or Asher or Naphtali or Levi. So it's like into eternity. Interestingly, New Jerusalem, wrap your mind around that. It's actually a city, wrap your mind around that. It actually has gates. The gates are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's not like you don't see like one of the gates, Abraham Lincoln, with all due respect. Or you don't see, I don't know, some great sports hero. No, you have the 12 tribes of Israel that are identified. And furthermore, he goes on to say, actually in verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Interesting. Point number one is, and it's in your notes on the screen, Israel, interestingly, Israel will be a conscious reality for eternity. Israel will be. It's like, well, I don't know about that. I just read it. It's like, no, it's conscious reality. 
hey, can I completely wrap my mind around uh, this description of eternal realities, the new Jerusalem, the city? A lot of times you need to ask yourself, rather than looking at it from a Greek perspective, because we're thinking form, what you need to be asking is, what does it mean? What does it mean? It's like, this is not the best example, okay, but give me, let me give you a little window when I go pick up Eric Metaxas at the airport. You ready for this? So when he flies in from New York, pick him up, we chat for about five minutes. I'd say not more than seven minutes. He's asking about In-N-Out Burger, okay? <laughs> they say, why is he asking about In-N-Out Burger? Because In-N-Out Burger is in California, right? So it's like, in other words, and he kind of lights up, right? Oh, it's right. We got to get a burger when we're hanging out. That's exactly right. So what's the point? I have no idea. I thought I'd throw it in there. <laughs> the point is, there's a consciousness in the new Jerusalem. There's a consciousness of Israel. And it raises the question, well, what is Israel? You know, Thursday, the Senate passed 97 to 0 in support of Israel against Hamas. Well, those boys and girls and gals, excuse me, did the right thing. Our Senate, did you guys hear what I just said? So our Senate voted 97-0 in support of Israel. Yeah, but like Israel? Oh, the nation of Israel, the state of Israel today. When you ask the question, you know, what is Israel, who is Israel? Depends on the context, really. Because biblically, Israel, I don't want to lose you here, is a patriarch, that's Jacob. Israel is actually a piece of real estate, the land of Israel. Israel is the 12 tribes of Israel and the descendants of Israel. So Jews are the descendants of Israel. Judaism is a religion. Okay, not all Jews are uh, committed to Judaism, right? I mean, you can be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there are atheists who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are followers of Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, the faithful remnant of Israel, who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So a Jew is ethnically a descendant of Israel, i.e. the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, look, here's the thing. I mean, the times in which we live, Israel is becoming front and center. I mean, we just had our top military uh, a defensive secretary just raised concern about dynamics in the Middle East on a whole other level that involves potentially Hamas, which is really the head of the snake in all of this. But they've raised kind of our radars and our ability to respond when it comes to missiles and things. I mean, Israel is front and center. You know, we're sending, we're sending our boys over there and, and our girls and gals, excuse me. I don't mean that. When I say girls, I mean that utmost respect. But um, we're sending our military. Our military is actually already over there. So it's like, I mean, we're dealing with all of this. The question is, who or what is Israel? What is God's plan in and through Israel? What is the Christian's relationship to Israel? Should a Christian stand with the nation of Israel today? And if so, how? Is there a difference between unconditional support or unconditional love? And is there a difference? And what is the difference? The issue is huge. I mean, Israel is kind of like putting on a shirt, you know. I think we've probably all done this. If you don't get the top button right, it just kind of throws everything off. I mean, the fit, the shirt fits, but it doesn't fit as it was designed. We want to make sure the shirt fits. Look, October 7th has been called Israel's 9-11. We talked about it last week. 
you know, we had our own 9-11, right? I was a pastor at the time, so I'm probably 36 years of age. And, um, and then we all hit by 9-11. And I, this was during a time I was kind of hanging around a little bit, Franklin Graham and Greg Laurie. And I remember Franklin talking about Islamic terrorism, Islamic extremism. Here, here's the thing, seriously. I had no idea really what he was talking about. I didn't know much about Islam, to be frank with you. And then all of a sudden, 9-11. And then, all, then, then we're, if maybe we could help with the, that'd be great. Oh, uh, thank you. So then we have like 9-11, right? And it's now we're all reeling with like, what, what just took place? So what I did actually, is I, I went back, I haven't even done this in 22 years or however long it's been. I went back to the first message that we preached uh, right after 9-11. Because we started this series on Islam, Israel, and Armageddon. And, um, and we're all kind of reeling. Like we're all trying to figure out what just happened to us and who are the people that attacked us. Do you guys remember this? Right? So here's the notes. Since September 11th, We've all witnessed our country scramble. This is the beginning. Scramble to answer the questions like, what is Islam? What is a holy war? What is jihad? Why is America so hated by Israel's, by people so far away? In the process of answering those questions, more questions have been raised. It's like September 11th locked us in a horrible, haunted house, and we've been looking for a way out. But... Each new door we open opens yet another door that raises more issues. And one of them is, why is there such uninhibited anti-Semitism? And why does the issue of Jerusalem keep coming up? I want to forewarn you, the pursuit of the questions are not for wimps. It takes courage to face them. And I pray that we have the courage to do so. Here's the reason why I'm mentioning this, because today the truth about Israel is going to require courage. One of the reasons is because, look, there's a big difference between 2001 and 2023. It's called the internet. It's called how fast information spreads. It's, it's about like a lot of people have platforms on social media which influence a lot of people, but they have no idea what they're talking about. Some will spread right information. Some will spread disinformation. So like there's a war taking place, but now there's a war with regard to, to, ide to the minds of men and women through social media, right? And we just need to remember something in principle, church family, and that is kind of a word to the wise. Someone's opinion or judgment or criticism needs to be weighed in light of the source from which it comes from. It's like, you know, now everybody has a voice, right? Yeah, but it, it's like, who are you? Can we trust you? Do you know what you're talking about? It's like you go back to the dynamics of the Jesus movement. The main reason the apostles were called the apostles is because they were the authoritative witnesses of the personal work of Jesus. It was not a literary culture at the time. So it mattered, if you got information, it mattered where that information came from. I mean, can we trust it? Is it a trusted source? And, and, and they'll, you know, the original followers of Jesus, man, you could trust them. They were faithful martyrs, faithful witnesses of truth. They lived it. Hamas slaughtered young people in Israel and others. There is a social media war after the next generation. I mean, you have 
UC Davis professor Gemma DeCristo, she tweeted, one group of people we have easy access to in the U.S. is all these Zionist journalists. We have houses with addresses, kids in school. They can fear those boss, their bosses, but they should fear us more. And then she had images of a knife, axe with blood droplets. Okay, interesting time. Look, what we did this morning is we turned to Revelation 21, and we're actually, we, we actually kind of read right to left. So it's like, oh, what's it look like in the end? Well, into eternity. I mean, you have the consciousness, the consciousness, the awareness of the unfolding plan of God in and through Israel in its completion. You guys, turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Of course, we were studying Romans not long ago, but I want us to do the same. I want us to read from right to left. Romans chapter 11. How every believer needs to get it right when it comes to Israel. Romans chapter 11 Verse 27, Romans 11, verse 27. And basically, beginning in verse 26, but there's a phrase that I'll get to in just a little bit. It, it says in, essentially in verse 27 that Jesus is coming again to Jerusalem. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So I, okay, well, the deliverer, this is a reference to Jesus. Jesus is coming back. Can I hear another big amen to that? He's coming back to Jerusalem. He judges the nations. He comes as Savior. Unless those days were short and no flesh would survive, he comes as king. He's the Davidic king. He's going to set up his kingdom epicenter, Jerusalem. There's going to be forgiveness of sins of Israel. When Jesus was on the cross, remember what he said, the first thing, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay, so watch. He's coming back. We know that, right? Now, look at verse 26, the first part of it. It says, all Israel will be saved. Well, like, who is the Israel at this time? The reference here. It's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the land of Israel, which has turned to Jesus Christ. So we have a few scriptures on the screen. One is Matthew 23, and it's probably a really, oh, maybe broke it up. Excellent. I mean, this is our Lord. You talk about one who has a heart for his fellow countrymen. Jesus, super concerned about Israel and the whole world. But he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophet stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall not see me till you say, let's all read it together, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, there is a generation of our Jewish friends in Israel who actually profess that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we have the next scripture, Zechariah 12.10, up on the screen as well. It says, I will pour on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look 
on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. One day, Israel turns to Jesus. Hey, do we play a role in that? Oh, the gospel's first for the Jew and then the Gentile. We should be unashamed of the gospel, bring to the Jew as well as the Gentile. Ultimately, you have prior to the Lord returning, Jerusalem turns to Jesus and there is a divine rescue with all Israel saved. Can I hear a big amen to that? Hey guys, turn with me to Acts chapter 3 at this time. Acts chapter 3. I mean, this is one of the most important passages to exegete. So what, what have we learned so far? Um, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to Jerusalem. All Israel will, in fact, be saved prior to that. In eternity, 12 tribes of Israel. In eternity, the foundations of the new Jerusalem are the Jewish apostles. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I mean, you want to get in the mind of Peter, you know, the, the great preacher who was with Jesus from the beginning. He's in Jerusalem at this time. There's a man who's just been healed from paralysis. Now you have like thousands of people gathering. And look what he says in verse 19. He says, repent, which means course correct. Change the way you think. Get right with God that your sins, now he's speaking to a Jewish audience, he's speaking to his fellow Jewish countrymen, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The idea of times of refreshing refers to the definitive age of salvation with Israel restored to her fullness in the Messiah. It's like encompassing all of the, what the prophets prophesied of Israel's future. And then he says, and that they may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Look at verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Powerful word that Peter uses for restoration. It's actually the same word used for God's future return of Jews from all around the world to Israel. So in other words, a part of God's genius plan and promise to Israel is that while there would be a Dia Zipporah, a dispersion of Jews throughout the world, he would regather Israel back into the promised land, which is embodied by the state of Israel today. So the point, but the point is, is that God prophesied that there would be a Dia Zipporah and then a regathering. What Peter is referring to here is, hey, listen, Jesus is in heaven. There's going to be a restoration. There will be a physical return of our Jewish friends back in the land of promise. That will ultimately lead to a spiritual awakening. And Isaiah 2 and elsewhere picture Israel ultimately at the center of the renewed earth. So this puts into perspective the fulfillment of Jews returning to the land. And I believe it's the greatest miracle in the last 2,000 years. The point is, and it's in your notes, it's on the screen, Jesus is returning to Jerusalem that is turned to him 
as Savior and Lord, at which time Israel as a nation will be the center of the renewed earth. Jesus, the glory of Israel, will bless the world with his presence. Look, let me share something. When we receive communion, and thanks, you guys are so patient because you hear me all the time, but look, sometimes it takes a while to get important truths down into the soul. Jesus said, you know, we receive communion. I'm not going to drink of this cup, break the bread, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. I mean, the context, he's talking to Jewish boys there, right? He's talking about the hope of Israel. And, and he's actually just said to them, hey, you know, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather the hidden gatherers are chicks, super nurturing, you're not willing, house is left to you desolate, there's going to, you know, he talked about how Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by the Romans, it was terrible. But there's hope. And in fact, Romans 11:15 says there's actually a resurrection of the nation of Israel. So the question is, and here we're still, let's actually go back to Romans, so sorry. Go back to Romans chapter 11. Prior to all Israel saved, how should we view the present state of Israel formed in 1948 against all odds? So how should we view it? So we've said a lot. Okay, watch this. We, we turn to Revelation 21. It's like into eternity it's, well, I mean, the 12 tribes of Israel and the gates of the New Jerusalem, foundation are the apostles. Um, we turn to Romans, oh, uh, the deliverer comes out of, of Jerusalem, Zion. Can I hear an amen to that? Oh, all Israel saved? Yeah, totally. Okay, great. So now watch this. Now, now let's get perspective to the nation today. It's like, how, how should we view the present state of Israel? Today, I mean, we know ultimately she lives her full potential in the Messiah. Is everybody with me on that? Okay, here's, here's how we need to see it. One is, Israel today is a secular democratic state, which means like any other nation, it has its flaws and blemishes. So it raises the question, should a Christian unconditionally support the modern state of Israel. Like one of the concerns I have, should unconditional, is there a difference between unconditional support versus unconditional love? We raised that earlier. Should we unconditionally support, wait a second, time out. it's a secular democratic state. It's like, um, like do we unconditionally support the Israeli government funding of abortions for women in the military? Just say, oh yeah, yeah, it was right on. Wait a second, no, I don't. I mean, one of the concerns I have is that I have Jewish friends. They're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They got a very difficult time actually getting through immigration and becoming citizens of Israel because they profess Yeshua, because they profess Jesus as Savior and Lord. I mean, I've spoken to the consul general about this. I said, you know, like, who's a dear friend? I love him. I mean, it's not, I'm not, I just say, hey, you know, if um, you could start turning the volume up a little bit, because you not only have Jewish friends who are followers of Jesus in Israel who feel threatened, and there's things that, that have, you know, there's antagonism against them, which it's, it's just, it's, it's minor, but nevertheless, it's there. But you also have the idea that once you become a follower of Jesus, somehow you're no longer a Jew. That's insane. That's like insane. I mean, that needs to like stop, 
We need to be, evangelicals should be as voices like, hey, you know, time out for a second. No way. I mean, the reality is, I would argue that to be a follower of Jesus as a Jew, you're more Jewish than you have ever been, actually. Because you've embraced the one who's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So my, my question is, is the support of Israel unconditional? I mean, do we, do we stand with or have to agree with every nuance of decision that the government makes? No, no. But here's the thing. There's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger picture that, that we must see. And there's a lens to provide wisdom in a Christian support of Israel. And that is that the existence of the modern state of Israel is a powerful sign of the fulfillment of prophecy of the Lord bringing his people back into the land. So while technically the modern state of Israel is not prophesied, the return of the Jews in the land of Israel is prophesied, for which the modern state of Israel is a powerful sign of this fulfillment. So point number three is, we have it on the screen today, Israel, secular democratic state, flaws like any other country. I mean, hey, does our country have flaws? Can I hear a big, well, the, and if, whoa, well, the amen, just, whoa, I gotta finish my message there. Guys freaked out on that amen, right? I mean, yeah, of course. Um, but here's the thing. God has always seen Israel. In fact, the point number three, I don't even think I underscored it. Israel is a secular democratic state, yet a powerful sign of the fulfilled prophecy of God regathering Israel back into our land. Look, God has always seen Israel, always, as a distinct nation. Always. Jeremiah 31, verse 35 through 37 says that Israel will be a nation as long as the fixed order of the sun, moon, and stars exists. In other words, every day the sun rises is another reminder that God still sees Israel as a nation, that God keeps his covenant with Israel, that God has elected Israel, chosen Israel for divine purpose, despite present-day unbelievers or because of a secular nation. Romans chapter 11, we have it here, verse 28 and 29, concerning the gospel, they may be enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, we're talking about for divine purpose, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So it's like in the meantime, how should a follower of Jesus see their relationship with Israel uh, and with God's unfolding plan in and through Israel. And this is where we get back to Romans. One is, look, we've been brought into God's unfolding plan that was promised to Israel. So we must never forget that. Like, look at verse 17. Romans 11. Yet you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. It's like, oh, we, we studied this in depth, but it's like if you're here for the first time, the olive tree represents the divine guarantees that God gave Israel of unique purpose and impact to the entire world. It's like, what are you talking about? How, the, the Abrahamic covenant. 
that through Abraham promised a land, nation, make his name great, the entire world be blessed in the Messiah of Israel. Okay, we are engrafted in that. We, it's like Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And God keeps his promises to his covenant people. And remember, we have our Bible, the prophets, the apostles, and our Messiah because of Israel. Salvation is of the Jews, the Bible says. Not of race, but of grace. The point is, is that God's unfolding plan to impact the entire world is in and through Israel and the Messiah of Israel. Or think of it this way. Like if you want to just summarize this, um, you know, the fatness of the olive tree and we're like these wild branches. That's the idea we've been engrafted in. How I think of it is I just think of a big bus. A big, it's, it's like this beautiful plan of God and his will and to bring wholeness and regeneration. And it's moving from eternity past to eternity future. Good to see you, Eitan. God bless you. And it's moving from eternity past to eternity future. Okay? And it has, I kind of think of the Partridge family bus, but it's much more important than that. Right. No. I, I just think of a big bus. But this one has a star of David on it. And it's, move, it's like, and the door opens to each generation. And it's like, and who's like standing at the door of the bus is Jesus. Oh, the Messiah of Israel standing in. He's like, come on, 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 step in, step into this. The Jewish Messiah, Savior of the Lord, Savior of the world, the Lord, right? It's like he, and he's inviting you in. And as you come in through Messiah, it's like, oh my goodness gracious, man. There's, hey, there's Joseph, there's David, there's there's Jews and Gentiles on this bus that's moving from eternity past to eternity future. And when he says here in Romans 11 and 12, like we have to see ourselves for one and grafted in. But in addition to that, look, we have a responsibility. Like non-Jewish believers have a responsibility. Look at verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? It's like, what does that mean? Oh, um, yeah, Israel in first century, as a nation, Israel as a nation did not embrace Jesus as Messiah. You know, I say very poor leadership. You know, it's who are the instigators of the crucifixion? You got to look right to the high priests who are the most corrupt individuals in the country uh, at the time. I mean, there was a few instigating the crucifixion of Jesus. You want to be very careful about broad brushing. It's like, oh, the Jews. I mean, it's like the Jews, like such anti-Semitism. A few bad apples there. A few bad apples. I mean, Christianity, if you will, it's a, it's a Jewish movement. It's like it began in Jerusalem, right? It's like, look, we have a responsibility as non-Jews to live a life and, and to worship the Lord God of Israel we're purposed, one of the purposes, excuse me, is to actually be influential to our Jewish friends. Paul, if he was here, I'd convince, say, hey, look, I'm a Jew. Wherever I go, whatever city I go, even though I'm called to the world, I always go first to the synagogues. I always go first to the synagogues. The gospel's first for the Jew. 
And then I go outside. Then I work the world. Then I, then I work the nations. Okay? In a similar way, we need to like, you talk about apostolic authority, go back, regroup, and follow Paul in that regard. Remember, it starts with Jew first, not in pri- uh, uh, preference, but in priority, then to the world. And Paul said, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. It's like, gee, Paul. Gee, Paul, wait a second. Um, like, you were a part of the Sanhedrin, Paul. You were like this young, think of a young Charlie Kirk senator or something. I mean, super bright guy. And then you're, and you're going to the world and you're not ashamed of the gospel? It's like you're not ashamed that the Messiah of Israel died on a stinking Roman cross, the lowest form of execution in the Roman world? I mean, why would it? There's a lot of reasons you might be ashamed of the gospel. Paul would say, hey, not ashamed of the gospel because he resurrected from the dead. Amen. And, I'm not, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel because Israel will resurrect from the dead. That's his point in Romans. If we don't get Israel right, you are not understanding the gospel, actually, properly. You say, what are you talking about, man? Gospel is, sin's forgiven, I die, I go to heaven. That's beautiful, Uh, but it's much more than that. It's a kingdom here on planet Earth. Jesus reigning, Davidic king in Jerusalem. It's like, Paul, why wouldn't you be ashamed of the gospel? Like, I'll tell you why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because Jesus is the son of God. The emperor is not the son of God. There's the gospel of God. He resurrected from the dead. And he's coming again. And he's going to come to Jerusalem. And all Israel will be saved and never forget it. And if you're a non-Jew, hey, listen, if you're a non-Jew, like, don't, don't be arrogant in your thinking. Do you know? That your story is in the unfolding plan of Israel from eternity past to eternity future. So don't boast. It's like, remember where you came from. You lose your story, you're going to lose your identity. We find ourselves in 2023, some of our Jewish friends, um, they, they would see the gospel as a threat. I was just like sitting down with Dr. Mitch Glazer, beautiful Jewish brother in Christ. And, you know, this is what he said, you know, some... Some Jewish friends see the gospel as a threat to their very existence, but that's not the true gospel. You know, there's been incredible, horrible things done to Jews throughout history in the name of Jesus. Terrible, terrible anti-Semitism. I, you know, listen, I can't believe the stinking anti-Semitism I'm hearing, even out of the lips of people who profess Jesus Christ. They don't, I'm thinking, I don't, do you realize what you're saying? Broad brushing. I mean, take, say, hey, I'm going to take one professor who happens to be ethnically a Jew, has some weird theories. Like, you know, let's, th- let's think Freud, for example. For example, say, oh, yeah, the Jews believe this. Like, Jews, what, are you, what are you talking about? Why, why, are you broad, why are you broad brushing? It's like, right? I mean, all the white people these days have been feeling a little bit like, whoa, man. I mean, the melanin content of our skin, I mean, is equated to particular ideology and, and, and we, you know, it's like we've, we've been feeling this racism that's been, been rising up as of recent just because we're white. Have you ever, have you been feeling that recent? It's like, hey, you get a little taste of this insanity of anti-Semitism. It's like from the pit of hell. Okay? So it's like what, what's, what we have to understand, listen, in history, there has been 
terrible acts done to our Jewish friends in the name of Jesus, under the banner of Christendom, which I think in such cases obviously are just not, they're not genuine Christians. But it goes back to 325 Constantine's corruption. But Joseph Toluskin pointed out Christianity didn't create the Holocaust. Indeed, Nazism was anti-Christian, but it made it possible. Without Christian anti-Semitism, the Holocaust would have been inconceivable. Hitler and the Nazis found in the medieval Catholic anti-Jewish legislation a model for their own, and they read and reprinted Luther's virently anti-Semitic writings. It is instructive that the Holocaust was unleashed by the only major country in Europe having approximately equal number of Catholics and Protestants. Both traditions were saturated with Jew hatred. And while it is true that many Nazis were anti-Christian and Nazism itself was anti-Christian, they were all, as the Jewish philosopher Eliezer Berketzitz has pointed out, the children of Christians. Dr. Michael Brown said this was the terrible end result of 1,500 years. I'm talking about now the Holocaust. It's the context of church-sponsored, church-approved, church-tolerated anti-Semitism. And in perhaps the greatest perversion in the history of religion, hatred of the Jews was carried out in the name of Jesus himself, a Jew, to his dying breath. How did a faith that was founded by a Jewish rabbi and whose first adherents were all Jews become so hostile to the Jewish people? That's a great question. Here's why. Because the church throughout history ripped out Romans 9, 10, and 11. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. And I'm just telling you, churches still do it today. That's why it's like, hey, go read. Go read Romans 11. Read it from right to left. Read it. Read it. You know, start at the end and then make your way up. And it's crystal clear. Here's the thing. Church family, Christian support of the modern state of Israel. You know, it's not unconditional support. Israel is a secular, flawed nation, but a Christian must not lose sight of the big picture. And I think one of the most important questions of our time is, what is a Christian's relationship to Israel? What is a Christian's responsibility to Israel? I believe that's one of the most important questions, and we pursue it all the time. But in the name of standing with Israel, I've given you some notes I hope is a blessing to you. Let me give you some perspectives. Number one, God promised to preserve his ancient people, a distinct people regardless of their sin, and the modern state of Israel is a part of that preservation. Jeremiah 31. Number two, it's in your notes, we are on the screen too, the restoration of the Jewish people of the land is an act of historic prophetic significance. So standing with Israel today means standing with the purposes of God because God's not finished with Israel. Number three, there is satanic attempt to destroy Israel that will culminate in the demonic influence of the Antichrist. Not to mention the fact, hey, you want to just take the moral test. There's a moral reason why we should stand with Israel because Israel 
and and existence reveals clear evil in the world. Look, October 7th, we talked about this before a couple weeks ago, was a little micro demonic manifestation of destroying Israel that one day will be a macro manifestation because Zechariah 12 says all the nations of the world are going to come against Jerusalem. And Jesus returns. He said, unless those days were short, no flesh would survive. You know, one of the reasons Hamas justified their demonic manifestation, I don't even like saying it that way, so I'll say, one of the reasons why these demoniacs said, you know, they did what they did was because of dynamics on the Temple Mount. You have to understand, Jerusalem is mentioned 811 times in the Bible. It's not mentioned once in the Quran. Muslims today want to include Jerusalem as the third most holy site outside of Mecca and Medina. But prior to 1948, when Israel became a nation, it was not even in their consciousness. Oh, all of a sudden it kicks in. All of a sudden the Jews are in the land. And it's like, so we want to rewrite history and some leverage to the Temple Mount. And of course, the Temple Mount is, Jesus spent a lot of time in the Temple Mount. Hey, listen, we want to trace our roots as followers of Jesus? Go right back to the Temple Mount. I mean, the early church was meeting in houses in Jerusalem as well at the Temple. And as Dr. Brown said, why Jerusalem? It is because this is the city to which the Messiah will return. And the ultimate battle is a battle for a Jewish Jerusalem. Now, if you were the devil and you knew this, wouldn't you want to stop the Jewish people from reconstituting a homeland in Israel? And if you couldn't stop this, wouldn't you try to keep Jerusalem out of Jewish control? And if you couldn't stop this, wouldn't you try to keep the Jewish people from recognizing Jesus as Messiah? The answer is, of course, is yes to each of these questions. An emphatic yes, and, and, and historical events, both recent and distant, give ample evidence to these very activities. Christians, therefore, should stand with Israel and with a Jewish Jerusalem, praying fervently for God to open his people's eyes to acknowledge Yeshua as Messiah and King. I mean, look, here's a rationale. You destroy Jerusalem, you destroy the throne that Jesus is going to sit on. And today, as I mentioned, anti-Semitism is just skyrocketing. Times of Israel reports, fear in Berlin, as Star David scrawled at entrances of buildings where Jews reside, Israelis living in German city, fearful of rising animosity amid shows of pro-Palestinian support awake of Hamas mass terror. London police report 1,353% rise in anti-Semitic hate crimes since Hamas onslaught. And listen... Like, this is not hyperbolic. These are facts. On our own campuses in the United States of America, just have the courage. I know you do, okay? Have the courage to face it. Have the courage. Have, be like a doctor. It's like, you know, I want to help you. Pay, so I'm going to put this little cell thing. I'm going to take a biopsy. I'm going to put it under the microscope. And I'm going to be honest with what I see. I, and it's, oh, it's a cancer, so we've got to cut that out. I mean, don't, have the courage to face reality. Because you have, you have at Harvard, you have at Stanford, you have at Berserkly, Berkeley I mean, <laughs> you have kids rallying in support of Hamas. Let me tell you what 
the Chancellor of Germany just said yesterday. He went to Israel. Whew, it's hard to say. He witnessed the demonic, crazy stuff. I mean, you're talking about decapitation. You're talking about booby-trapping bodies. It's one of the reasons why it took so long to care for the bodies. I mean, it's just a horror. And his response was that there's support in Germany for Hamas, he said. He said, witnessing this, he said, I quote, it's time for a large-scale deportation of these migrants. In other words, we're not going to lie. I hope to God he follows through with it. I hope to God he does. Because if he did, he would be a genuine, true leader. No one's fit to lead if they don't confront evil and call it for what it is. I mean, you have Senator Hawley. Could not get passed in the U.S. Senate. America's condemnation, calling and celebrating the killing of Jews on our campuses. And Hawley said, it's a revealing moment. You know, remember what C.S. Lewis said, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and then are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and build, bid the geldings be fruitful. Now it's like, it's a time to have a heart and courage and know the truth. And if October 7th does not provide moral clarity to what is evil versus what is good, the demon is so deep in the psyche of such an individual, I feel for them. The marketing strategy the marketing strategy of the Islamic Nazis is just smoke and mirrors. Republic of Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, their goal is to destroy Israel. But not only Israel. They just see Israel as the little Satan. They want to destroy the world and bring it under a new world government of, under Islamic extremism. So this idea of free Palestine, I'm not saying that people even recognize what they're saying, but if you chant it, you're deluded already by evil. Those who promote it are puppets of evil. Those who stand by in silence are complicit. Now voices matter. And many times the idea of a two-state solution out of some sources, not all, is really an attempt to resurrect the final solution. You know, at least 40 Four nations have publicly expressed their unequivocal condemnation of Hamas and explicitly decried its tactics as terrorists. Others, including regional players like Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Syria, and Iraq, have placed responsibility on Israel for the attacks. One headline, and we know, I know you guys were following this, like, you know, there, there's a terrible incident with a, regard, a hospital, right? In Gaza, were you following that? I mean, it's like, oh my goodness gracious, the, the Israelis, they shoot this hospital and stuff. One person said, no one with an IQ over 50 is, quote, gullible or stupid enough to fall for something that comes from the mouth of Hamas, of godless terrorists who less than two weeks ago committed the cold-blooded slaughter of every 
or nearly 1,500 innocent Israeli citizens. No one in the corporate media, and I do mean no one, believed the same people who, less than two weeks ago, shot the heads off of babies, executed a massacre at peace festival, raped women, desecrated corpses, killed parents in front of their children. Yet, the New York Times jumped all over that. The, the Prime Minister of Canada jumped all over supporting the narrative. It was the Israelis. Listen, behind Hamas, and I'm almost done, but don't believe me. I'm hoping I'm going to be almost done. Behind Hamas is Iran. You know, I mentioned this earlier. Here's, I was just a young pastor at the time when 2000, 2001. That Sunday, there were 2,000 people at their church in a, in a city of 12,000. It's a lot of people. And people were like, man, do you guys remember 2001, right? 9-11, obviously you do. I mean, it was like a reeling time for all of us. And so the more questions you ask, it's like, ah, oh, gosh, you really want to deal with this, right? I mean, do you really, you really want to face it. You, gotta need, you need to face something. Hamas, behind Hamas is Iran. H Hamas are like Nazis. Hitler, the modern Hitler is Iran's leadership. Joel Rosenberg said, we all know that Iran funds, trains, and arms Hamas. That means that Iran is just as guilty of the slaughter of more than 1,400 Israelis as Hamas is. That means the supreme leader is just as culpable for getting or for killing more Jews in 14 days than at any other time since the Holocaust. Now suddenly, tragically, Israel has a pretext to launch an attack against Iran. And we also know that Hezbollah, Iran's proxy terror army in Lebanon with its 200,000 missiles, all aimed at Israel, is itching to join the fight. The Iranian leadership has publicly threatened that when Israel launches its ground invasion of Gaza, Tehran will escalate the war. To what extent? Well, I mean, I hope they don't, but this is what they're saying. And that's why he says, I'm certain Netanyahu and his war cabinet are actively discussing the possibility of launching a preemptive, massive strike against Iran, assassinating Iran's leaders. I could just go on and on, but listen, here's the thing. Everything is heating up. I hope it doesn't become more regional. I hope it doesn't. I hope that the evil is purged from Gaza. I hope Hezbollah stands down uh, because if they don't, it's going to be costly on so many levels. I, I hope everything damps down. I hope there's a continuing work of the gospel in Iran, which there is actually. Christianity is the fastest growing religion in Iran. And I hope that there's a replacement. I, I hope all, for all of it. But in the meantime, just remember, those who bless Israel, God will bless. And remember, Jesus will return to a Jewish Jerusalem. And remember this. This is number six. I just jumped to a bunch of points right there. We have marching orders, my brothers and sisters. It's Romans 1, 16 and 7. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation for the Jew and the Gentile, right? Pray for believers in Israel. Be bold to share your faith in such a time as this. Hey, the Bible says without, well, excuse me, I thought, okay. No, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10. That's in the context of Jewish evangelism. 
Okay, we have clear marching orders to live a life that provokes our Jewish friends to jelly. We have clear marching orders to never forget our story. If we forget our story, we're going to lose our identity. 